Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. Uh, this morning, we'll be in the book of Romans, and thank you for that, uh, that video. I love those. Uh, I didn't realize there was a camera in my office. It'll change what I do a little bit from now on. And for those of you who are wondering, uh, Carl was never located. You might want to get right for the end of this service. Carl was never located. We don't think. Romans chapter 8. It has been said that if the Bible were a beautiful ring, that the book of Romans would be the diamond of that ring with all of its rich theology and gospel presentation. It has also been said that if Romans were the diamond of the ring of the Bible, that chapter 8 would be the most sparkling spot on that beautiful diamond as the richest and perhaps most shining chapter in the book of Romans. And I'm not sure that I disagree completely with that statement. With some of the truths proclaimed in the book of Romans, particularly in chapter 8, I mean, this is the chapter that gives us in verse 14 that we are led by the Spirit of God. We are His sons. In verse 18, it says that the sufferings of this life do not compare with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Verse 17 says that if we are children of God, then we are joint heirs with Jesus. Verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit... Now, I want you all to think about this. Verse 26 of Romans chapter 8 says that the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf with groanings that we can't understand. The Holy Spirit of God is interceding between us and the Father on our behalf. Now, that's a pretty rich verse. Verse 28 says that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Verse 31 says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And verses 37 through 39 tell us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul goes on to write, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Did you guys realize all of that was contained in one chapter of this great Bible that we've been given? All of those verses are contained in one chapter of the book of Romans, and that's chapter 8. And with all of that, with all of that, I didn't even read what my favorite verse in chapter Eight of the book of Romans is. And so would you please stand as we read some of my favorite words in the entire Bible from the book of Romans chapter 8 in verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation. Let's read that again. There is therefore now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free 
from the law of sin and death. Let us pray. Father God, God, we stand before you as humble as we know how, asking that you would do what only you can do, and that is run wild in our presence this morning, Lord. God, we pray that any spirit that ain't your Holy Spirit would be bound and removed from this very sanctuary at this very time. God, we pray that anything that's happened that would cause us to focus on anything but you for the next few minutes, Lord God, we pray that you would erase it from our minds. God, let your spirit flow. And we, as a people, will stand and give you the praise and the honor and the glory that you deserve. And it is in your precious name that we pray, as all God's people said. And you may be seated. There is no condemnation. No condemnation. Those are some of the most powerful and amazing words that we can hear or know as children of God. There's no condemnation. Those words are so empowering. Those words are so amazing as people. It is my opinion that one emotion that is so incredibly crippling and can lead to so much depression for people and can hold people back so much is a feeling of guilt. A feeling of, of guilt can cripple us. And so as we dive in this morning with our first point from the text, we want to look at this, that there is an innocence that is declared, an innocence that is declared. I think that we can agree this morning. If we can't, don't raise your hand because I want you to agree with me. I think we can agree this morning that guilt is quite crippling and that we all at some point deal with feelings of guilt. At some point in time in our life, we've all dealt with having a feeling of guilt that we, that we did something or, or didn't do something that we should have done or should not have done. And so that's why this is quite an important verse for us to look at. That word condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation. That word condemnation is a word that means penalty and is the result of a judgment. Penalty or the result of a judgment. Judgment we can understand as a people. Judgment we understand. Penalty we understand. We relate it to something because we feel like that we receive a penalty as a result of something we do. And that's why we sometimes feel guilt. We receive a, a penalty. A penalty is handed down as a result of the thing that we've done that makes us feel guilty. We comprehend that point. We have trials. Our whole court system is set up on the fact that we come forward and, and what is determined at a trial. Guilt. Thank you. Guilt is determined at a, at a trial. And so in the trial process, guilt is determined. Once guilt has been determined, then what happens? A penalty is handed down. And that's the condemnation. And so the condemnation for what you did is handed down. And that's what that word literally means. It's kind of like a guilty verdict. And the condemnation is the penalty that you receive as a result of that guilty verdict. We have guilt for things that we've done to other people. We have guilt for things that we didn't do for other people that we should have done. We have guilt for things that we have said. I don't know about you guys, sometimes I have guilt for things that I have thought. Usually it's sometime later when I quit thinking them and I realize I shouldn't have thought them to begin with. But I have guilt for those things in my life. Did you know that even those who deny that there is a God and pretend that there is no universal law of morals... 
There's no order set in place by God. As they go around and set about to prove that there is no real right or wrong, they would say there is no real right or wrong. It's only what you do. Did you know that at the end of the day, they only agree with that statement as much as you agree with them? And so even those who set about to say that there should be no guilt would come around and say, it's only not guilty as long as you're on my page. But if you disagree with me, well, you're guilty of being wrong. The problem is that no matter who we are, no matter what we try to say we believe, no matter what we, what we do, no matter how far we try to run from it, at the end of the day, we all have a sense deep inside of us as created beings of God that we desire to be made right with God. That's why we feel guilty. We feel guilty because inside of us is an intrinsic desire that we want to be in a right standing with our Creator. And that guilt that we carry... That guilt that we carry is the burden when we realize that God is holy and we are not. And so we begin to look at all the, the things that we've done that we try to blame for our lack of holiness. All of the things that we have or have not done that we try to say, if I can just get rid of those things, I won't have to feel guilty anymore. I, I won't have to stand under the condemnation anymore. And as a people, there are many ways that this unexplainable guilt, people attempt to reconcile it, is how I'm going to say it. Not how they do reconcile it, but how they think they can reconcile it. And one of those ways is people try to reconcile their guilt through their intellect, by being smart enough to reconcile their guilt. They'll say something like, uh, well, the feeling of guilt comes from an unrealistic expectation of what I should be, and so, of course, I fail because I didn't have a reasonable expectation for myself to begin with. And so if I can lower the bar, I won't have to feel guilty anymore. Suddenly if I don't think I'm, if I start to aim lower, when I don't, when I don't get that mark I was aiming for, I don't have to feel guilty about it because, well, I wasn't, I wasn't shooting for perfection anymore anyway. I was just shooting to be whatever I could be. Another intellectual way that people look at guilt is they say, well, that guilt I feel, that's from an outdated or an antiquated way of thinking. That's the way my mama thought. That's the way my daddy thought. That's the way my grandpa thought. But it's not the way I got to think. And we somehow think ourselves intelligent enough to, be, to, to just smart away our guilt. I don't need to feel guilt for that anymore because, well, just because mama said it was that way didn't mean it was that way. I don't have to feel guilty because that was mama's standard. That's not my standard for life. And so intellectually, try to set our own standard for what we're aiming for. So we come up with in our minds how smart we are. And we say, well, I don't need to hit that mark. I need to hit, I need to hit this mark down here. And that's what I'm going to aim for. Some choose to deal with their guilt in a physical manner. I've heard that some people even exercise. I've never been guilty enough, apparently, to think that exercise was an answer. Some turn to those good old-fashioned physical ways of dealing with things such as alcohol and drugs, extramarital affairs, something to pour themselves into something else so that they don't have to focus on their own guilt. The most tried and dependent on method, though, that people have come up with to try and deal with guilt is religion. When intellect 
and physical ways fall. People will turn to religion. That's where they decide to acknowledge that there is a God. And they attempt to go to church enough, attempt to go to religious meetings enough, and do the things that you think that that God you believe in wants you to do. And if you'll only do enough of those things, you don't have to feel guilty anymore. You know the problem with all of those methods, though? Is they assume that the court of righteous standing before God occurs and it's kind of a post-life court. And here's what I mean by that. It's almost like you view that you stand before God and he says, all right, I'm going to send a, a, a document writer to come and watch you live your life. And when you come back to me at the end of your life, we're going to play the tape and we're going to see if you did enough things to get rid of your guilt. Because you're guilty. But we're going to see if you accomplished enough good things, if you did enough things for enough people, if you said enough good, if you didn't do too much bad. And we're going to get to the end and we're going to say, are you guilty or are you not guilty based on the things that you did? But my friends, the the court of opinions before God, when you stand before a righteous God, did you know that he's not looking at, at that tape of your life? God's not looking at the tape of your life because, my friends, you could live an entire life doing everything by the world standard as perfection and still go straight to hell. Do you know that? You could live your entire life doing everything to the world's perfections, the things that even we as a church would set forward to say, that. did you know you could honor the Ten Commandments to the T, never accept Christ and not be in a righteous standing before God? Yet on the flip side, you could... Miss that commandment about thou shalt not commit murder. Come to know Christ. Be forgiven and stand with a righteous standing before God. Because the condemnation that we are claimed free from, there is now no condemnation. It's not from our own standing. It's from Christ Jesus. That's the only place where we can have the no condemnation. It'd be like standing trial. Since we're using these, these courtroom terms. It'd be like standing trial, having the judge stand before you and announce the verdict of guilty. Because that's the verdict that we all deserve. The judge stands before you and says, you are guilty. But your penalty has already been paid. You're guilty. You did it. But the condemnation has been removed by Christ Jesus on a hill far away on an old rugged cross. My friends, guilt is a problem That we may experience, but can I just say quickly, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, we all fall into the category of those who are deserving of condemnation. Every single person who breathes deserves the penalty for sin. And that penalty is death. That's what we all deserve. But... Bless God, that in his mercy and his grace, there is no condemnation. There's not a little bit of condemnation. (coughs) There's not a, a thought of condemnation. There is no condemnation. Hang on now. I know it's raining outside. I get it. But I want to make sure you heard that because I didn't, I didn't hear anybody that sounded like they heard that to me. I said that there is no condemnation. Thank you. 
Somebody appreciates the amazing grace of Jesus this morning. There's no condemnation. Now, let me explain what that means because apparently it's not sinking in yet. That means that you deserved hell, but you don't have to go to hell. You deserved punishment, but you don't have to be punished. You earned death, but you don't have to die because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It covers every part of me. I once was lost, but now I'm found in Christ Jesus. I deserve death, but there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no penalty to be handed down to me. There's an innocence that is declared. We're innocent if we are in Christ Jesus, but we still struggle with something though, don't we? We still struggle, and that takes us to our second point. There is a slavery that must be abandoned. There's a slavery that must be abandoned. So what do you mean slavery, Brother Jason? What do you mean? I'm not a slave. I'm not a slave, Brother Jason. Oh, I don't know. I think we're all slaves if we're being completely transparent. We're slaves to a nature of sin. We struggle with the fact that even after we're saved, the nature of the natural man still battles inside of us. Even after we come to know Christ, our natural man still desires to come out. Even after we accept Christ as our Savior, even after we acknowledge that there is no condemnation, we walk out and somehow or another inside of us, this sinful man desires to come out and somehow or another manages to ooze out every now and again. That sinful man comes out and we we don't do the things we want to do. It's why Paul writes in chapter 7, he says, The good I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do I practice. Is that not the story of our life? The good things that I want to do, the obedient things that I want to do are a struggle. But those things that I wish I didn't do, the evil, the bad thoughts, the blasphemy, the gossip, All of those things, boy, those are easy, aren't they? They just come oozing out of the natural man. Paul writes in chapter 7, verse 20, If I do what I will not to do, it's not just me, but the sin that dwells in me. He's a slave to sin. If we do the things that we don't want to do, it's because we're a slave to something. We're a slave to our nature of sin. Paul writes that we are... In our sin nature, we struggle to do the things that we wish we didn't do. Now, I want to just ask you something. If you continue to do something that you didn't want to do, if you truly didn't want to do it, would you not say you're a slave to that something? That you've lost control over that something? That somehow or another, you don't have it as well as you thought you did in control? Of course you are. So you're a slave to your nature of sin. But the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus. And it does what for us in verse 2? Makes us free. Makes us free. Now the law is a strange and deceptive beast. And we're going to deal with it quickly this morning. On one hand, there's the realization that as children of God... We are supposed to fulfill his statutes. We are supposed to walk in obedience. And on other hands, there is the realization that we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. So we are supposed to walk in obedience, 
But we're sinners and fall short of that glory. We're supposed to, to, to follow the statutes of God, but we struggle to follow the statutes of God and fall short of them. So which way is it? Do we obtain freedom by obeying the law? Or do we obtain freedom through the Spirit? And so let us look at this law of sin and death a little bit. This is first recognized in chapter 7. You don't have to turn back. But if you want to look, chapter 7, verse 23, Paul writes that there's another law in my members, inside of his body. He realizes that his members are, are, are battling against each other with another law. The law of his mind, and it brings him into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in his members. So Paul says, as I struggle to do these things, I begin to acknowledge, as I look to myself, I begin to realize that there is something going on inside of me that causes my very nature to battle against itself. On one hand is my desire to be godly. On the other hand is my fleshly desire not to. And I recognize that sometimes that fleshly desire takes control and causes my very members, my very nature to battle against itself. Now that's difficult, isn't it? Now, thank goodness none of you battle with that, but I, I empathize with Paul. I know what he's saying. On one hand, I have the list of things that I know I'm supposed to do. I preached a message about this, and so I know that I've been convicted by God. I heard a preacher preach a message. I know that that's what God's statute is, and yet when I get ready to commit to doing it somehow or another, the nature of Jason takes over, and he says, go do this anyway. You don't really need to do that. And some, then all of a sudden, this, this battle within comes about. This battle of the mind, so to speak. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, we have this internal nature of sin that we inherited from Adam. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death with it. So there's this nature of sin that entered through Adam that flows through all of our veins. It's there. And so we have to deal with it. And so it kind of pulls us to do the things that we do not wish to do. The problem with this nature, though is that it leads to death. It leads to death. It'd be like giving a warning to your children and saying, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's okay if, if don't do that means you know, you're going to eat all the snacks and not have any next week or you're going to get in trouble later if you don't do that. But if it's a a car riding down the road and your kid's about to run in front of the car and you say, no, 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 no. It's life or death, isn't it? That's what this warning is that Paul writes. He says, we got, to, we got to be killing this sin because if we don't get control of our sin nature, if we don't get the freedom from the law of sin, the punishment is not a slap on the wrist. The punishment is death. The punishment is death for the sinful man. We cannot, we cannot overlook the fact that we have a nature of sin in our life. We can't try enough. We can't work hard enough. We can't read enough self-help books. You can't come to enough religious activities. You can't even make enough religious friends to overcome your nature of sin and the debt that you owe. You can't feed enough hungry folks. You can't clothe enough homeless people. The only way to be set free from your Battle with sin. The only way to combat the law of the flesh is by the power of Christ Jesus. Now think about that. I have personal struggle in my life with my weight. Those of you who have been here the entire time that I've been here have seen me wear three different size suits because of my struggle with my weight. 
When I first got here, I was in a size suit slightly bigger than the one I'm in now, believe it or not. And then there was a time where I had to go buy some slightly smaller suits because Liette quit cooking. And then now I'm in a slightly bigger suit yet again. I have a struggle with my weight. You know what? I'm fully aware that my blood pressure is high because of my weight. I'm fully aware that if I don't get my weight under control, I may very well have a heart attack or a stroke one day. I get all of those things. And yet I still struggle with my weight, knowing, knowing that it could lead to problems to me down the road. But the answer to my weight struggles are to work harder, aren't they? Right? Don't eat the things you shouldn't eat. Make two more trips up to the crosses behind the church on a walk. Jog a little bit. Play more ball with the kids. And you'll lose weight. Work harder. Do more. Guess what? The good news is, because that's hard. I like to eat. It's hard for me not to eat. Here's the best part, though. When it comes to the law of sin, you don't got to work harder. You can't work hard enough anyway. You could work yourself into a tizzy. You'd just be more of a sinner than you were when you started. The law of sin, in order to beat that nature of sin, all you got to do is stop working and let Christ Jesus take control. And he will empower you and he will clear you and he will declare for you the innocence of no condemnation. So what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can do, but everything that Christ already did. So we see that we are justified or set free by Christ. Verse 2 says we need to be moving from a place of guilt to a place of recognizing our freedom. You might call it being sanctified, but why? Why do we need to be sanctified? Don't we just need to be saved? Isn't that enough? Don't we just need to be saved? Well, I'll give you a couple of, a couple of quick examples. In the interest of time, why we need to leave our guilt and understand that our innocence is declared. First, if you live in your past, you won't have a future. You cannot serve God moving forward, looking backwards. Can't do it. You cannot continuously beat yourself up for the mistakes you made in the past and serve the risen Savior moving forward. You cannot look at the things that went wrong in your past and follow Jesus moving forward. Why? Because God's already forgiven you of those things. Those are already over. If God forgot them, why shouldn't you forgot them? Just makes sense to me. But you know what we do? Satan gets in our mind and he says, You remember what you did? And we go, that's right, that's right. I ain't no count. I can't do nothing. I can't go to church. I can't serve at that church. I can't serve the Lord. I can't feed the homeless. I can't go to Hearts for Hunger. I can't go to Sunday school. If I go to Sunday school, they'll see right through me and they'll know my past. Guess what? They probably will know your past. You know what else they won't do? They won't care. They'll be tickled to death that you're there because you know what everybody in this place has got? What I would like right now is a show of hands. If you're over the age of 12... Now, probably if you're born, but over the age of 12, you probably can recognize it. I would like somebody over the age of 12 to raise your hand if you've lived a perfect life. I don't see any hands. That means that everybody in here has got a past. 
that we're having to leave behind in order to move forward together. That's the beauty of it. There's no condemnation for those things in your past. It's time to move forward. You cannot have a future serving God if you beat yourself up over your past. Second, you can't learn from your past if you live in your past. Hang on now. Listen to what I said. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You can't learn from your past if you still live in your past. The only way you can move forward is to learn from what happened and leave it back there. But if you keep going back and staying there, you know what you're going to do? You're just going to keep living it over and over and over again. You know, one of the reasons that they teach history in our schools is not just so we'll know what used to happen, but so we'll know what not to do moving forward. If we would only grasp that as a society and quit making the same mistakes over and over again, we'd be far better. Your history, your past, it's your past. It brought you to where you're at. But if you live in it, you didn't learn from it. So learn from it and move forward. And finally, the third thing that we need to look at, and this may be the biggest, if you're unwilling to move on from your past, it may be a sign that you still desire to live there and you have not trusted God with it yet. You've got to examine yourself. If I'm clinging to my past, if I'm living in my past, if I'm looking to my past and not moving on, it may be very well a sign that I've not trusted God to move me out of it yet. I've not given it to God. I still want to be there. I still want to live in my sin. I still want to do those things over and over again. You've got to leave it back there and trust that God declared for you that there was no condemnation. He says he cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. From one scarred hand to the other. As far as the east is from the west. If God casts those sins as far as the east is from the west. Why do you want to put them back in your pocket and remember them? It's because the enemy says that's who you are. But Jesus says I'm who you are. Think about that. The enemy says you are the sum of all of your sins. But God says, all I see is Jesus. Huh? That's pretty good. I don't know about you guys. I haven't lived the most perfect life. But to know that when my God looks at me, he sees Jesus, that makes me happy. Because if my God looked at me and he saw Jason, I'd be in trouble. But my God looks at me and he sees Jesus. Because I've been covered by the blood. One drop of his blood was enough to wash me white as snow. And there's no condemnation for me, so I can move on from that because it's in the past. So the innocence is declared. There's no condemnation. The slavery must be abandoned. Finally, this is my favorite. There's a Christ in which we must abide. How does all this happen? How, how does it happen? How, how do we get forgiven? How do we move on? How do we leave our slavery behind? How do we not be a slave to ourselves and a slave to sin? By these mighty, mighty powerful words in verse 1. There's no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. I want y'all to say those words for me again. In Christ Jesus. Come on. In Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That word for in literally means properly with or operating from something. Oh, man. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in a proper relationship with Jesus or operating from Jesus. Whew. Ain't no condemnation. 
if you're right with God. Ain't no condemnation if you're operating from Jesus. If Jesus is driving the boat, if Jesus is your pilot, there's no condemnation. You don't got to feel that guilt no more. So how do we get there? We put Jesus as our priority. How can we abandon our slavery to sin? By being counted right with Jesus. Right with Jesus. John Piper once wrote about these very verses. If you are united with Christ, you have a pardon. That's no condemnation. If you're united with Christ, you have a pardon from sin and a power over sin. That's what that means to abide in Christ. You have forgiveness of sin and power over sin moving forward. How can you be set free from your slavery to sin? You must first be forgiven. You can't skip to the second part without experience the first. You can't set yourself free from a sin from which you've never been forgiven. Like the hymn writer wrote, Would you be free from the burden of sin? Somebody help me out. How's that in? There's power in the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's wonderful power in the blood. John 8, 36 says, If the Son sets you free, if Jesus sets you free, then you are free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, you're free indeed. So what sets us free? Jesus. To abide in Jesus sets us free. So how do we respond to this message this morning? How do we respond to this? First, there are some in here this morning that have been justified, some that have been saved, some that have lived a life and have already accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but you're still dealing with something in your past. Still dealing with some guilt, carrying it around like a sack on your back, holding you down. You pick it up every morning, you wake up, you put your guilt on your back. Every day you go to bed, you slide it under your bed, you pick it up the next morning. Sometimes you lay in bed and you think about how guilty you feel. You just, you won't leave it in the past. You know you're saved. I know I gave my life to Jesus, but you keep trying to pick this guilt up. You've been counted as properly joined with Jesus, but you just haven't really acknowledged that there's no condemnation for your sin. You haven't fully grasped that the penalty has already been paid by Jesus. Would you come this morning and lay your guilt at his feet and say to Jesus, I know that I am free indeed. I'm free indeed. I don't got to carry these burdens anymore. I want to live a victorious life that reflects, Jesus, what you did for me. Did you know, did you know, child of God, that to pick your guilt up and carry it around like that heavy sack is to mentally cheapen what Jesus did for you on the cross? Jesus said, I took your burdens. Let me have them. I've already paid the penalty for them. Quit carrying them. Don't let them hold you back anymore. So somebody in here, shackled by a heavy load, needs to lay it at the feet of Jesus this morning. And for someone else, though, maybe somebody here who's been going through life for so long the wrong way. You've been trying to deal with your guilt by doing enough good things. You've been trying to live good enough, been trying to be good enough. Maybe you've come to church to check off some religious boxes. Maybe you've done good things. Maybe you've done bad things. I don't know. But you've been going about your life the wrong way, never, ever, ever having given your sin 
to Jesus who's already paid for it if you will only accept that there is therefore now no condemnation. My friend, you are living as a slave to sin and your penalty is death and your penalty will be paid. Would you come this morning and accept Jesus' blood as a penalty for your guilt and your sin? Would you come this morning and give your life to Jesus? Let us pray. Father God, God, we should all stand in awe of verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans. That there is no condemnation. That despite what we've done, who we've been, where we've gone, you paid it all. Despite the fact that we didn't deserve it, you've given it freely, Lord. And that your blood washes us white as snow. And there is no penalty for the things that we've done if we will only abide in you, Jesus. So God, would you free somebody this morning from their burden of sin? Somebody in here that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, would you convict them, prick their heart, cause them to come and say, I want to follow Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't want to carry these burdens anymore. I want to give them to Jesus. God, for your child who's here, who's struggling to leave their past behind, God, would you give them the courage to come Kneel at your altar and say, as of today, I'm going to serve you fully, Jesus, and I am leaving my past in my past. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And it's in your sweet name that we do pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.